0: I'm called to be a leader. I'm going lead to I'm a leader. I'm a leader. We can do anything we want. Look if I said it, then i meant it. I probably already did it. Consider it done. Consider it done. If you need some inspiration, you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast. Hey, baby.
1: Hey,
2: what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Championship Leadership Podcast. Uh, to find out more about my show and everything that I'm up to, please go to my website, natebailey.org. Uh, today's guest, I, I had the opportunity to be on uh, Joseph and Jasmine's podcast uh, a month back or so. Uh, and uh, so our guests uh, today, they're they're out of uh, Chicago. Joseph and Jasmine Mims, incredible couple, both Army experience in, uh, veterans. Of the United States Army, and uh, today now they they specifically focus in on buying companies, running companies, building companies, uh, entrepreneurs in the real estate world as well. And it was just a fun conversation to have both of those on at this, both of them on at the same time. So please welcome Joseph and Jasmine, and, and enjoy. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back, Championship Leadership Podcast. We got Joseph and Jasmine Mims. And uh, out of Chicago, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you so much for having us, Nate.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I know I got to be on your show a while back, uh, which I had uh, a great time on. And so I wanted to have you guys come in as well. First question I'd like to ask everyone is championship leadership is the name of the podcast. So what comes to mind for you guys when you hear championship leadership?
1: Yeah, so... Really what comes to mind for me is just uh, somebody who really sets a standard for leadership and aspires and actually works to hit that standard every single day. And I think one of the most important keys to leadership, or at least for me, is Mm -hmm. the consistency of showing up and trying to hit that standard every single day. So if you can get out of bed and you can do that, like I think that's what separates uh just normal leaders from championship leaders. I think is more so the the consistency and the relentlessness relentlessness to do that day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. How about you, Jasmine?
3: Uh, I would say someone that um it, it just kinda reminds me of someone kind of similar to what Joe was saying. Uh someone that does like they have a level of excellence in like everything that they do. Like it's always a hundred percent or nothing. And, you know, I strive to be that way. And sometimes I don't hit a hundred (laughs) percent, maybe I'm at like 90, but you know, a hundred percent is always the goal. Like no matter what you're doing, like whether you're cooking dinner at a hundred percent and it's going to be like the best meal ever, or, you know, somebody that has kids like giving a hundred percent to their kids and just being like super zoned in and focused, like uh, just having that level of excellence um, and that standard really.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. So yeah, very similar. And uh, it's always fun to hear the different um, the ways people describe what, what championship leadership is to them. So well, tell us a little bit more about you guys. Um you know, how long have you been married and uh, also just, yeah, what is it that the the path that you're on, what you're up to, you know, today and kind of give us give us an idea of the journey that you
1: guys have had together. Yeah, absolutely. So our journey uh, pretty much started right out of high school. And, you know, it was uh, both our senior year of high school. We didn't know each other at the time, but our past was very uh, parallel. And we also live like probably 20, 25 minutes away from each other. But we were just in similar situations the entire time. And when it came to year, year, uh, everybody's asking that question of what are you going to do? You're going <laughs> right. to college, what you're going to college for, what type of degree you want, what you want your career to be. And at 17, 18 years old, I just want to tell people. You have no clue. Even if you think you have a clue, you probably don't have a clue at all. Right, right. Um, Which we didn't, but we thought we did, just like every other (laughs) 17, 18-year-old. But we knew that education was a part of that. But my family didn't have the financial wherewithal to help me pay for that, even though they tried to kind of say that they did. I kind of just could do simple math. I'm like, (laughs) Uh, and um, I think her situation was uh, very, very similar. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to figure out how I was going to pay for this because I knew it was something that I wanted to do. I just didn't know exactly how that looked. One of my friends ended up joining the military. And while I definitely love America, I would definitely prefer to live here and in other places. Yeah. At the end of the day, I wasn't the most patriotic dude ever. So when he did that, I was like, you know what do you join the uh, military for and, and specifically I think it was it was the army reserves and he was giving me all these different reasons and then one of the reasons was that they paid for school and I'm mm-hmm. like cool so where do I sign up yeah. <laughs> like, like it was it, like literally that simple it was like you know if they pay for school sure like you can't be that hard <laughs> yeah. um, so I ended up joining the mili- uh, I ended up uh, signing up for the military. Uh spent that whole summer, you know, uh pretty much BSing before I went to basic training because I mean that's kind of what you do before basic training yeah, right. in the summer. <laughs> uh went to basic training and we had what was called OSET which is basically where you get your MOS or your job training at the same uh place where you get get your basic training from. And it was in Fort Leonard Woods, so that kind of sucked as well because we had 110 degree days and also like negative (laughs) 20 days as well. (laughs) Um, So I ended up going there for about five months. And because it's, you know, basic training, a lot of aspects of it sucked, but there was a lot of aspects of it that I really enjoyed. I like the camaraderie and I like who you really become after that whole experience. And then after that, because I was in the reserves, I figured that, you know, okay, cool. Now that I got my, you know, low training out the way, I'll, you know, focus on going to school and, you know, just being a college kid. And then I got a call from a a unit one day saying that, yeah, we're we're deploying to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And for, yeah, for people who, Uh, don't really know about, you know, deployments and stuff like that. The blessing was that it was Cuba. The curse was that it was Guantanamo Bay. (laughs) So it was like, (laughs) there there were two different things going on there because half of the people I meet is like, oh, it's Cuba. And then the other half is like, oh, you know, did you, you know, I'm not gonna say that, but <laughs> yeah. I think you kind of know where I was going yeah, at. But yeah. like, yeah, did you do that? I was like, no, I did, I didn't. Not, <laughs> I did not it at all, at all. And I ended up going there, and I ended up really not liking it. And it wasn't necessarily because the job was hard, because the job was not very difficult, especially when you compare it to the training that you actually got. We were well trained to do the job, but. It was an experience where I learned that all leadership isn't good leadership, mm-hmm. and that's what makes uh, different jobs complicated for people. It's because sometimes it's like you can have the most po- perfect job in the world, but if your manager or or your boss is kind of like a jerk and tries to make your job hard, you know, it it will kind of ruin the experience for you. And that's kind yeah. of what we were experiencing there. But after it came time to come home, we felt. That because we were uh you know had a deployment under our belt, it would be easy to live what was being called at the time the American Dream, so we thought we were gonna get home, find excellent jobs, buy a nice house live uh have a nice car all that good stuff. and when we actually got home, we found um that the opposite would be true. We spent several months unemployed and um that really hurt uh, my confidence because I was like, wow, I did all of this over here. And it's like, I can't even get a job at Walmart when I come back home, which was yeah, right. So I remember thinking that and just thinking to myself, I had to, I would either A, continue to try to find a job or B, learn how to create a job or employ myself. So I did a little bit of both, you know, had to hedge my bets a little bit. But I I started studying wealth accumulation, finances, business ownership, and all those different types of things. And um, shortly after that, we ended up starting our own company. And um, it used to be called the MIMS Group Incorporated because we were boring and very uncreative. (laughs) <laughs> and then we rebranded it to uh, Abundant Culture. And basically what we do now, uh, long st- very, very long story short, is um, we found out that we had a knack for buying uh, companies and growing them. And the way we do that is instead of focusing on, you know, just the sales and marketing that like a lot of people probably would because common sense you know, would probably tell you, like, I want to grow a company, got to grow the top line. Mm -hmm. While that's true, the reason why we call ourselves abundant culture is because we like to focus on the culture of a company so that everybody feels the responsibility of pushing that company's mission and innovation forward. So we want to create a culture where, you know, it's not me just pushing the top line. It's, you know, every single employee from the person who's been there ten years to the person that's only been there for a week. Yeah. So that's what we do. All
2: right. What's uh so Jess, were you were you both in the army?
3: Yeah. yeah so he he missed the part of the story. Oh yeah. yeah. Where, um the we, most important part. <laughs> uh, we didn't know each other like until we uh both got to Gitmo. But and it's you so grew funny up-
2: like 20, 25 minutes apart.
3: Right. And then in basic training, our uh, buildings were right next door to each other. and We still didn't know each other, but we met when we uh, deployed. And then that's where we started dating was
2: Cuba. Same uh, MOS?
3: Yep. We were on the same team. Same, so same. I oh, guess no, we were
2: kidding.
3: around each other 24-7. Wow. So we might as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. What, was, what were you guys doing in Guantanamo Bay? Uh,
1: so we were actually, what would you so we're, call uh,
3: We were military police, okay. um, but basically we were performing like prison guard duties, Yeah, okay. but it's not a prison, it's
1: a camp. That's what I was trying to figure <laughs> out. What do you call that? Because I can't yeah. say it's prison guard, but it's like, same stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, for all the civilians out there, I think it gives them
2: a good idea of yeah. what it was that you were doing though. So yeah. Um, well, awesome, so all right, so you guys come back and and uh yeah how do you how do you get into the business of like uh, accumulating or or buying different businesses?
1: yeah, so that was a very um uh, that's the long story <laughs> yeah that, that was a long story that I alluded to, but basically, I guess the short of it was that um I had realized. One of the things that happened when I got home was that I remember we were going somewhere in downtown Chicago. I think it was to Jasmine's school because she Mm -hmm. started going to school. And then I was kind of doing school, but not really doing a great job at it. But we were going to her school one day and I remember seeing this homeless person. And if you go downtown Chicago, there's homeless people literally everywhere all the time. But this time was different for me because I saw it wasn't just any homeless person. It was a homeless veteran. And then I was thinking, when I saw that guy, I was like, huh, like technically speaking, I could end up in that exact same situation. And I'm totally functional. Like I always Mm -hmm. used to think that those guys, you know, maybe they had a drinking problem, drug problem, PTSD uh was injured and couldn't work, had some type of mental illness. I always thought they were something was wrong with them. And then when I saw that guy, that was the first day it clicked for me that you can be a perfectly fine soldier or human being and period. And you can end up in in that exact same spot just because of, you know, roll of dice or whatever. Yeah. And that really shocked me. And I realized at that moment that everything I had done up until that point was for financial stability. uh, And I knew nothing about finances, really. So what I began to do was just, I just started studying finances. So I just started trying to learn as much as I can about finances, money, wealth accumulation, different things of that nature. And I ended up reading this book and I hardly ever used to read. Like i didn't hate read at all.
3: I don't know why you said Harley.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't read at all. But I like, I mean, Netflix gets old after a while. Cause like literally yeah, right. all I would do is sit at home. I would sit at home, fill out job applications and watch Netflix. Imagine doing that for like months on end. That's all you do. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, I got bored with the Netflix part. I got kind of got bored with the app, job application part as well. Yeah. So I just, I, re- I picked up this book one day. It was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, a lot of people probably heard of it. And it changed my whole perspective about money and, and wealth in general. And what what I realized from that point on was that wealth is something that if you want it, yes, it's going to take a crap ton of work. You're going to have to become a different person in order to obtain it. But it's obtainable, in my opinion, for everybody, at least everybody in the United States. I mean, if, you know, and that's one of the things that, you know, even though our country is really polarized right now, I think everybody should at least appreciate the fact that, man, you can literally go from nothing or no one to being whatever you want to be in this country, which still amazing I don't care what else is going on if you can do that like you're in a decent place at least mm-hmm. right so I I realized that so I just started to just study and I meant I mean I would there were some days where I would study different aspects of finance anywhere from four to 10 hours a day just because There was nothing else to do besides fill out job applications. (laughs) So um, I would just study that. And um, it started off with books and then books led to courses and then courses led to mentors. And then we ended up investing, well, borrowing a lot of money to invest in different various mentorships and courses and things of that nature. And then I I first got into real estate because that seemed like the, the simpler thing to do. Because yeah. in, in my mind, at least, business ownership was a bit more complicated than just investing in a real estate property and collecting rent or whatever. Right. Um, so that's where I started. And when I was there, I didn't really have any money. Uh, but one of the friends that I ended up meeting there, one of the friendships, he started off as my mentor, but now he's a good friend. His name's uh, Daniel. Daniel. Ah, uh, he immigrated from Korea, and he started out with nothing, and he's like a multimillionaire today, yeah. and he's still in his twenties. He ended up teaching me. Um, I asked him one day, I'm like, "Okay, I you were here one day, and then next, you know, one day you were a multimillionaire. Like, how did you bridge the gap? Gap, and how did you freaking buy real estate if you didn't have any money to start with? Like, how do you? Do- yeah. I know. I I invested <laughs> in this program. And for whatever reason, I didn't think about that when I invested in a program. But luckily, he had an answer for that. And he wanted, the answer was that he uh, raised capital. Like, oh, that's cool. Like, teach me how to do that. So he took me under his wing. He taught me how to uh, do that. And one of the first real estate projects I ended up raising capital for was a uh, 130-something unit building in Jacksonville, Florida. And I didn't raise a ton of capital for it because there was other people who raised more than me who were better Mm -hmm. at it, but I raised a little bit from that and it gave me a chance to look at real estate, but from a different lens. And now I was looking at it from a business standpoint, because I realized that the guy who, there was a guy that was included in the project, but he wasn't the main one raising capital. He also wasn't the main one doing the renovation. He also wasn't the main guy, um, I think, negotiating a deal. So there were all these different moving parts. And this guy was like, he was like in it, but he wasn't doing it himself. Yeah, right. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this is interesting. And I was like, well, I raised capital for a real estate deal and I made money off of it, but I, don't really know all that much about real estate so i was like what other things could i do just by organizing a team
3: and then like right around that same time um we wanted to figure out a way just to make a little bit more money on the side um so i applied at this coffee shop because i just thought it looked cute and i emailed the owner i said hey i can uh I want to apply. I can work Tuesdays and Thursday mornings. I'm a real (laughs) estate investor. I was like super specific because I really didn't care if I got the job or not. And they, he replied and he was like, Hey, uh, you know, since you're an investor, we have this opportunity. We're about to start franchising. Uh, do you want to learn more about that? And I didn't even respond to that email. So he emailed me again (laughs) a couple months later and he said, Hey, we're hiring now. And I reread the messages because I'm like, who is this again? Like, what is this about? <laughs> so I reread the messages and then I see that there was an opportunity. So I emailed back like, yeah, I don't really want the job anymore, but we can talk a little bit more about that opportunity. So uh, we went to the coffee shop. Um, it's called Little Coffee Cabin. Uh, we talked with them for hours. We liked what they were doing. And then uh, we raised some capital from one of our friends and brought him in and we uh, bought into the franchise. So that was the first like business that we, we went into. And then while we were waiting on that location to be up and running after millions and millions of problems as (laughs) business owners always face, um, we got the opportunity to um, buy one of the existing franchisees locations because they were like, they were moving or something like that. So they didn't want it anymore. And we said, Mm -hmm. we'll take it. So then we found out that there was a way for us to not only start up, like not only buy into franchises and start the franchise, not only start a business, not just get into real estate, but then we could also buy businesses that are already operating. And then that's kind of when he had the epiphany, like let's do that more often.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm one of those people that like, it. if I do something once and I like it, I don't yeah. want to just do it once. It's like, yeah, let's right. do this. Yeah, stuff. makes <laughs> sense. Let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. Regular basis. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. What? Um, here's a question I love to ask? What is uh, like a critical moment or, or a defining moment for you guys? Maybe kind of like that fork in the road where Obviously you guys made the decision you did, which has you where you are today, but had you not, you know, you'd be in a very different place. So I don't know if you guys got different, different moments that you both want to share, uh, which would be fine. Or if there's like one that you guys just both know that like, was that one? Because I think, you know, there are a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners listening to this that are probably in that moment. And it's always powerful to hear how others have, have uh, chose uh, in those moments and and decided um, Cause it takes a lot of courage oftentimes when you're faced with big decisions. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I would say, I'm not sure if you were going to say this, so maybe mm-hmm. it's for the both of us, for, but for me, especially um, right after we started our business and bought into the franchise and did all this stuff. Uh, we looked in our bank account one day, a couple days before the rent was due. And we realized that we didn't have money to pay rent. <laughs> yeah so he I think like he called his mom and talked to her and they're like yeah we can help you you know pay it but then he started telling me well let's just move out like this weekend like let's move out in two days <laughs> and at first I didn't <laughs> like the idea I really didn't like it after that either <laughs> but we we did end up uh we moved out like in two days because we wanted to make sure that the landlord had you know time so we wanted to give the landlord as much time as possible although it was short notice that we were moving we thought we were doing the right thing um so and then right after that we both had a car but we sold his car to get a little bit more cash uh reserves for like our personal um finances and that moment was so pivotal for pivotal for both of us because Uh, that was the moment where it was like, we're either legacy focused or we're okay with being comfortable. Like we can either, you know, scrape up some money, you know, ask people to help us pay our rent just so we can stay in our own place or we can move in with family and then like bootstrap and put the rest of our money back into the business. And that's what we did. And it, that was not comfortable at all. Not like, not for the first year. Like it was, it was horrible. Like, especially to, you know, for someone in business to, to say that they didn't have any personal finances, like it was embarrassing too. Um, but it was just kind of something that we had to just overcome. Like, you know, like we're, we're building a legacy. This is much bigger than us. So we're not going to let a car and an apartment stop us. We can get that any other time after we buy all these businesses and you know do do all these investments but like we just had to be kind of selfless in that moment would you say the same for you
1: that was definitely one of the pivotal (laughs) moments um because that that was the time where like uh I think Mike Tyson has a quote everybody has a plan until life punches them in the mouth yeah like that was the time where it's like, okay, life is about to punch you in the mouth. We're gonna see, we're gonna see how you're gonna actually react. And I think a lot of people, they theorize about what they would do in certain situations, but it's a, a lot different ball game when you actually get a chance to actually find out because it happens to you. So that was definitely a very pivotal moment for me. Uh however, I'll I'll say a different one just to add yeah. um uh, Add a little bit more to the mix. I think we have several pivotal moments. Yeah, right. But, um, <laughs> the one I'll bring up is that when I realized, I think one of the main pivotal ones was when I realized that you could raise capital for pretty much whatever you want. Like, I mean, I do it for businesses. You could do it for real estate. You could technically. I know somebody who raised capital to buy a Lamborghini, and then they put. They put they wrapped the Lamborghini uh with uh with
3: marketing with,
1: with marketing material. So people would text the number on this Lamborghini and he would monetize that. So he found a way to monetize a yeah, depreciating yeah. asset. You can literally raise capital for almost anything. It was actually really crazy. But when I realized that I had the ability to do that, and when I learned how to do that, it was pivotal for me because. I learned that there was a difference between uh, poverty and scarcity. Uh, And they're very, very similar. And on the outside looking in, they actually look the exact same, but there's a slight difference. Scarcity is a lack of a certain resource or certain resources. But somebody who has a scarcity of something could actually be very resourceful and they can overcompensate for their lack of resources. By being more resourceful. Mm-hmm. So scarcity is something that actually drives innovation. And I think there's an entrepreneur name and an author named Mike McCallowitz, I think, that yeah. talks about this in his book, The Profit. No. Yeah. Profit yeah. First. Profit, Profit first. first. Yeah. yeah but but scarcity can drive innovation it can make you a better entrepreneur it can make you a better person and scarcity is temporary for people who actually innovate poverty is it looks the exact same because both might have zero in their bank account but the thing right. about with poverty is not only is a a lack of resources but it's also a lack of resourcefulness mm-hmm. so even if you have the resources around you you don't know how to either see them or how to leverage them in order to get out of your current situation. And poverty is something that is perpetual. So scarcity is uh, temporary, but poverty is something that, you know, it goes from generation to generation to generation. And I realized that I would say that even though I grew up in some impoverished situations, the second you make the determination where you're going to use absolutely everything you possibly can around you to create a better life not only for yourself but the people around you, you turn that poverty into scarcity. And I would rather just have scarcity any day than to have poverty because when you are when you become that person that like even you can have zero in your bank account. And I've done this before. You have nothing and then make a call, phone call and get, you know, a 20, 50 maybe even $100,000 for a a business thing that you're launching, you become something that's totally different from what people are used to really seeing. And, And that's a really powerful thing because you become the person who, even if somebody took everything away from you, like you become the person that can get it all back twice as fast because of how resourceful you are. So I think that was a pivotal moment for me, just learning how to do that and becoming that person who uh definitely wants the money but technically doesn't need it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That yeah, two great
2: examples. So thank you both for sharing those. And yeah, I love the conversation of poverty, scarcity. Um, so powerful. Yeah, there's a lot of people that that are impoverished, poverty, but uh you know, whether it's not willing to, or, you know, there's always resources out there. There's always things that we can do. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's just hard to see it when you're there, but yeah, I love yeah. that uh, distinction. So, and then, yeah, that, you know, Hey, moving out, selling the car, essentially just going all in on your business and what yeah. you guys want for the, for the long term instead of the, the short-term comforts of a, a, a car or, or, you know, people buying the watches or, you know, yeah. doing, you know, trying to look good on the outside, but really keeping themselves back from really getting to where they want to be down the road where they could actually have the discretionary income to then go buy those things. Um, yeah. to put all the work in. Right. So I love that. Um, I know we're getting a little kind of over time here. So I want to, uh, one last question for both of you guys, maybe each could have uh, share one. Uh, if there's like one thing that, if the listeners were to implement today, it would help them move their life forward today. What
1: would that be? Maybe get one from, from both of you guys. Well, the one thing for me, honestly, would be to get out and build your network. And the reason I would say that is because like, I think relationships are one of the most lucrative resources that you can possibly have. And I feel like I'm one of the poster childs of that because like even my dad, he'll, he'll tell me sometimes he's like, you know, you should go do this or such and such and such. I am like, Oh, okay. I can have, you know, an employee or I can have somebody in like my contact list go do it. And he's like, yeah. so like, he's like, what do you actually do? And I'm like, well, I do what <laughs> I'm good at. I, I do what I'm good at. If it's something that I do better than anybody else that I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that I know somebody else in my network is better at, I'm going to leverage them to do that because they'll be happier doing it for one thing. And yeah. then two, I could probably just pay them to do it. So I'm I'm actually, you know, uh, contributing to their income as well. So it goes back to that abundant mindset. So I, I think a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, they do something and they try to do everything themselves. But I mean, that's not how real wealth is created. If you can surround yourself with a community of people, employees, uh, different vendors or contractors that you work with, and just honestly, just friends as well I mean anything that you want or need a lot of times is can be found somewhere in your network, and the bigger that is, the in my opinion, the more wealth you actually have there's and there was actually um an experiment that this millionaire did one time where he um he basically like, called in a bunch of favors to see, like, how, like, if he was homeless, like, how long he could actually survive without having his own home or transportation or stuff like that. And he was able to call in enough favors to where basically, if he lost everything, he can indefinitely live with other people and also use other people's transportation to get around. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't go hungry either. So he could yeah. actually still live a very A decent quality of life while having nothing. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think in our culture where we're so obsessed with obtaining things, which I think obtaining things is important, Mm -hmm. somewhat important. But I think it's also a beautiful thing where you realize if that stops for whatever reason, there's a tribe of people around you, a a culture of people around Mm -hmm. you that can help take care of you and would be happy to do so and honored to do so. I think that's very, uh, profound for me. Yeah.
3: And I would say for someone to get clear on who they are and, uh, like what they want out of life, like, Mm -hmm. um, what kind of success they want, like, I I say that because uh, we just went to a virtual conference last weekend. Um, it was like a, a raising money summit. And during that conference, we figured out that like we've been marketing to the wrong people probably the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was from like a lack of clarity, really. Like we, we know like, we know who we are, but we didn't really know like what what exactly are we trying to do? Like, who are we trying to serve? Um, and ever since we found that clarity, like we've been just nonstop coming up with ideas, and not only coming up with ideas, but also um, executing them and putting them into action all week. And, and really, like without clarity, you're just gonna keep spinning your wheels. We probably spun our wheels for. Probably the the whole second year of business, I would say, yeah. definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so, all right. You know,
2: clear. I'm sure there's lots of things that you learn from that too, but yeah, that's powerful. I appreciate it. Uh, what are a few ways that we can, you know, obviously you guys got the podcast, but uh, yeah, what are some other ways that people can follow what you guys are up to and what you're doing?
3: Yeah. Uh, so everyone can follow us on, uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram um instagram is abundant.culture though because abundant culture was taken uh, but on facebook we're abundant culture um i'm getting more active on linkedin so you could just search my name um or just go to our website and that's where like all of our um contact information is and that's uh, www.abundantculture.co so just .co not .com <laughs>
2: Yeah, we'll get that linked up too so everybody can check that out and, and connect with you guys so i appreciate you guys taking the time it's been it's been awesome and it's been good to see you guys again so uh thanks so much
3: for being here
0: thank you yeah, so much you for this having was us fun. we really
3: appreciate it absolutely
0: let's go in 05 and 06 i've deployed to kuwait i used to wait every day for them to say nature going home i missed my life missed my wife for 15 months he was all alone Cause marriage has never been better than this, and we got three kids. That's who I do it for. I'm called to be a leader. I'm a leader, way dudes. I'm a firm believer. We can do anything we want. Look if I said it, then I meant it. I probably already did it. Consider it done. Consider it done. If you need some inspiration, you should play this Championship Leadership Podcast.